Good morning, everyone. Uh, Brother Mike's not being replaced. Uh, I offered to actually take the service uh, today, uh, given that I knew that he was going to be having his memorial service for his dad over the weekend. And I remember 20 years ago when I lost my father, how, um, how busy uh, you tend to be during that week of trying to get everything ready. So, um, you know, having that experience, I offered uh, myself to be able to cover for Mike so that he can dedicate himself a little bit more to his family during that week and be able to uh, present his, uh, you know, the, the plan that he had for uh, memorializing his, his father. Um, so he's not being replaced. I'm just here for one time. And, and, uh, and like I said that last time when I was honored to preach, um, I understand that statistically speaking, uh, we're only giving about, you know, statistically speaking, when somebody speaks publicly, they say that, in, that each individual is only willing to give the, spe- the, the speaker approximately 25 minutes of attention. Right? So knowing that, uh, my goal is to try to get everything done within those 25 minutes in hopes that God can use the time uh, to be able to edify one another and be able to uh, learn uh, from each other and more specifically learning from Him. Uh, today's uh, title of the sermon is, I entitled it, uh, Pressing Toward the Christian Goal. And if you turn with me to Philippians and bear with me because I'm kind of going through a little cold. And I'm using a, a Bible that I, don't, that I don't normally use. So, you know, every time you get a new Bible, you kind of try to, you know, the pages are a little bit thinner. But if you go to uh, Philippians, and I'll read the, uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> And I'm going to read uh, verse, verses 1 through 14 as the catapult to our message. And I'm going to focus really more towards the, towards the last portion of our, of our scripture reading. Um, but bear with me. It says, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this, about this is no trouble for me. And this is a protection. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boasting Christ Jesus and do not and put confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh too. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew, born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as to the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. 
assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Maybe. I'll go a couple more verses. It says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching toward what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the price promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. If you would please bow our heads and pray with me. Ask for the Lord's direction this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, humbly, asking for your guidance, Lord, for your direction. Um, that the privilege that you have allowed us to be here, Father, may be uh, a time of edification for each other, Father, knowing that we are learning from you, Father. Uh, your Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts, our minds, Father, so that at the end of the day, Lord, we may go home rejoicing, knowing that we have spent time with you, uh, have grown closer towards you, Father, have grown closer to our brethren. At the end of the day, Father, knowing that you are preparing us, Father, to be able to uh, reach this goal that you have for us, Father. Guide us and direct us, for we pray in your son's precious name. Amen. Um, again, the, the title of the message is Pressing Towards the Goal. Um, one of the reasons why I kind of, uh, uh, as soon as Mike, uh, you, know, uh, um, you know, said, oh, you know, go ahead, cover for me. Uh, the first thing that came to mind is it's New Year. Um, usually every year churches pre- you know, preach uh, on the coming year. And I kind of, you know, kind of keep it with tradition. I kind of started thinking about this whole process about resolutions and stuff like that, right? And uh, statistically speaking, uh, some of these resolutions that I, you know, that I want to share with you is part of what the, go- the whole goal process is, right? Uh, for the new year, the University of, of Scranton, um, the Department of Clinical Psychology did, an, did a research. Um, and January 1st, 2014, they released this research. And it's basically the top 10 uh, New Year's resolutions for 2014. They're interesting to see. Statistically speaking, one of us in this room has made one of these resolutions this year. Maybe more than one. Because we're a small group, statistically speaking, the chances are that there's somebody in here that has made this resolution, one of these these 10 resolutions this year. And the the top 10... uh, goes like this. What do you guys think the first one is? Lose weight. How many made it? You don't have to answer. Okay? Lose weight. The second one is getting organized. The third one, spend less, save more. Right? People want to spend less money, save more money. The fourth, the fourth one is enjoy life to the fullest. Consider these resolutions, because we're going to see how these resolutions pair up with Christ's goal, or, or Paul's goal. Number five, staying fit and healthy. Everyone stay fit and healthy, right? Number six, let's learn something exciting. Seven, quit smoking. Eight, Help others in their dreams. Nine. What do you guys think nine is? Guess. Guess. Fall in love. Right? Number nine. The number nine resolution for 2014 is to fall in love. And number ten, spend more time with family. 
The sad reality about this whole resolution process is that 45% um, of Americans make these resolutions. And then 17% uh, of Americans infrequently make resolutions, right? So you have about 47 who consistently make resolutions every year, and about 17% that on occasion will make a resolution. These are interesting numbers. There's only, there's 38% of Americans who never make a resolution. And there's only, listen to this number, when you have 47% of Americans that make a resolution every year, only 8% keep it. 49% have infrequent success, 24% never succeeded and failed on their resolution each year, 24%. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And chances are, is that even some of us have made resolutions that are outside of this. Read the Bible in a year. Two, three days, weeks, months into the year, we've maybe not reached it, right? I've committed this year to read the Bible in 90 days. And it's very hard. And I can tell you right now that I'm already a little bit behind. Right? But my goal is to finish it. Not because it's a resolution, but because God put it in my heart to do so. The reason why I'm bringing this thing up is that if you look at all these resolutions, they're all humanistic. They're all self-centered. They all center around making, each other, making myself feel good, doing things for myself, right? And as you, as you go on with these statistics, uh, 47% are self-improvement resolutions. 38% are weight-related. 34% are money. 31% are relationship-related resolutions. 39% of individuals in their 20 succeed in their resolutions. 14% of people over 50 achieve their resolutions. 75% maintain their resolution through the first week. Past two weeks, 71%. Past one month, 64%. Past six months, 46%. The reason why I say this is because somehow all of us at one point or another have a goal. We set goals, right? We are taught from school to set goals, have a vision, have something that you want to accomplish, and we all set goals. And goals are good to have. But Paul has set one goal. And it's centered on verse 10 that we just read. The reason why I picked this, ver this version of the Bible, because if you look at other versions, uh, for instance that one, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It just says that I may know him. But this specific version says my goal is. It's just a slightly different interpretation. Content doesn't change just the interpretation changes a little bit. It says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Three points that we'll try to, try to see if we could define rather quickly. One is uh, the goal defined. Second one would be uh, pursuit of the, of, you know, the goal pursued. And the third one would be attaining the goal or the goal attained. But let's define this goal for a moment. Paul says that my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. This one word to know has probably caused some of the most complicated debates in philosophy as far as we know. 
If any one of us has ever looked into philosophy a little bit, there's a whole field of just how do you know that you know? How do you know that you know? Uh, there's a truth project that some of us have done, um, and Dr. Dale Tackett, who does that project, he kind of has this statement is, how do you know that, how do you really know, what was, let me see if I remember correctly. How do you know that what you know is really real? Is that accurate? How do you really know that what you know is really real? Right? And this whole concept of knowing and stuff like that is something that, um, that is very interesting. Part of what this word signifies, um, it's, it's a word um, that the Greek calls it, a, it's gnosko. And if you, you know, remember that the Bible is written in Greek and Hebrew, and our English language does that original meaning no, no justice. Well, this word that the, the original that talks about, about knowing, which is gnosko, is much deeper than just a mere intellectual knowledge. For instance, you can say that you know your neighbor because you see him every day, you see him or her every day. But do you really know your neighbor? In the deep sense of what this word is talking about. Uh, so to know Christ is not just a mere intellectual uh, knowledge of just knowing. It goes much deeper than that. It has, a, it has a deeper meaning in that this word, honey kids? Okay. This word has a much deeper significance. It's the same word that is used between relations between a husband and wife. When you look in the Old Testament and you read, and Adam knew his wife, it's a more deep, deeper intimate connection with the person whom you're seeking to know. The Apostle Paul is not talking about a mere intellectual knowledge of Christ. 99% of the world probably knows about Christ. 99% of the world knows about Christ. They've heard of him. He's a historical figure. Right? You can look at the historical books and you can find evidence that he's existed. Right? One of the authors, what's his name? Um, listen. Um, the lawyer from the Chicago Tribune. What's his name? Um, somebody help me out here. Lee Strobel, right? Lee Strobel, who's, uh, who was uh, the editor of the Chicago Tribune, the legal editor, when his wife became a Christian, he did a legal analysis of the existence of Christ. And he wrote a book about that. And he, and he found out if he was to try the existence of Christ in a court of law, his only conclusion that he can come up with is that he is a true historical figure and there is enough evidence in history to determine that he's existed, that he walked this earth, that he was here. Evidence overwhelms it. But just knowing in the mere intellectual aspect of it is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He wants, his, he wants to have these deeper relationship. Right? Get a little history of what was happening with the Philippians. This letter was written to the Philippians while Paul was in jail. And he writes, listen to this. He's in jail, being persecuted for preaching the gospel, which is one of the first churches that he planted in Philippi. And he writes this letter to encourage the Philippians. He writes this letter to encourage the Philippians that they stay united in Christ. And his focus in this whole letter is God and the knowledge of Christ and to fulfill that one calling. To pursue that goal, to know Christ and know Him deeply. 
And I have to say, to my shame, that there's no way that I can say that I know Christ to the level that Paul attained. And he said, and not that I have already attained it, but I pursue, I, I press forward, I go on. And if he, being one of the individuals that got used greatly, pretty much to evangelize the entire world of his day, and he didn't reach the goal, man, that means we have a lot of work to do. It means we have a lot of work to do. Right? But there's no reason for despair, because we have the Holy Spirit who, allot, who, illuminate, who illumines us and guides us and directs us, right? So this, this definition of knowing derives from the, the Greek word ginosko, um, and, it, and, and, it, and it denotes attaining knowledge through experience. Through experience. Sort of like when somebody goes to, to school and learns, for instance, uh, see a construction worker goes and he learns to manage a job, but he really doesn't know the technicality of managing a project until he's there and he experiences. He knows the, the concept, right? But he doesn't yet know deeply because he hasn't experienced it. <laughs> Lawyers are the same way. Teachers, as the, more they, the more they experience the more we do things, the more we develop a deeper knowledge. In the beginning, it's just a intellectual knowledge. Then it continues to grow. Okay? Um, it's used to express relationship and trust. It, distingu- it distinguishes this word, gnosko, uh, distinguishes from a mere opinion of just thinking that we know. Okay? And an opinion just basically grasps have heartily grasped the idea of what you're trying to do. For instance, how many of us can say that we know the law? I, you know, I know a little bit. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a lawyer or anything like that, but I could probably defend myself a little bit. But if I was to go to court, I'd fail. Right? Because I don't know deeply the law the way, the way it's intended to be done. Um, and this word to know is the same word that was used when Adam, when God puts Adam in the Garden of Eden and tells him, hey, you can eat of every tree that is here, but if you eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die, right? What does the Bible say? That when they ate, their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. And the Bible continues to say that he has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. What happened? He experienced it. He experienced sin. He experienced rebellion. And that knowledge brought him into a deeper connection with that sin. And that's the same word that Paul is talking about for us to experience Christ. And if we don't experience him, if we don't deeply get to know him, if we don't believe, again, not from a mere intellect, but deeply experiencing, that's the goal. That's the goal that Paul has. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Knowing deeply. Know him, know him for who he is. And again, like I said, that word is the same word that is used um, when you read in the Old Testament that so-and-so you know, knew his wife and she, and she conceived and bore the child. Um, that Truth Project, Del Tackett has this uh, analogy where he says that um, the deepest... Or the deepest connection of a relationship and the closest relationship that exists to be able to portray the relationship that exists between the Trinity is marriage. You cannot get any more intimate with any person than you can with your spouse. 
And that's why, that's why it's such a sacred institution. And that's why we teach kids to preserve it. Because it, re it represents the intimacy that exists um, between the, within the Trinity. Again, when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, uh, there was a doctor that, that did an that he said that if you had to do an autopsy on the Lord Jesus Christ, he would have to declare him to, be, to have died of a broken heart. Because for that moment that the sins of the world, my sins, our sins, were being placed upon Christ, God the Father could not see him. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For that moment in eternity past, an eternity future, the unity between the Trinity, or that relationship, not the unity, but the relationship, was, was cut off. Something that Christ had never experienced in all eternity past. So Paul wants us to know Christ and to know Him deeply, to know Him intimately, to know Him not just from your intellectual knowledge. What does Paul say? My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach uh, the resurrection from among the dead. And he says, not that I have already reached it, or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it. He pursues it, right? The goal pursued, he stays focused. His, his focus is clear. And if, you, if you, and if you read up a little bit about Paul, you know that he was probably one of the most committed individuals in the New Testament. One of the most prepared. Um, I guess you can probably say that he studied in probably the best uh, theological seminaries of his day. Studied under Gamaliel. So he was very well prepared. He was very well focused. And what he says is he presses on. This is another interesting that he has. He presses on. You know what that word press means? I'm not going to give you the Greek. I'm just going to give you kind of what it, what it kind of uh, signifies. First, Paul was not comfortable with just being a normal preacher. His biggest aim was this goal to know Christ. And he pursued it to the fullest. He was committed to knowing and he pressed. And this word pressed was used of an Olympian when he runs his races. This word pressed was used as somebody who was being persecuted. Sort of like when Paul was persecuting the Christians and he didn't rest. He went after them. That same commitment that he used to go after the Christians before he knew it was the same persistence that he used to pursue his goal of knowing Christ. Let's commit it. So it's a, deep, it's, a, it's a deep commitment to go after that goal. Um, like I said, it was used of Olympians who pursued their goal to finish the race. And when we went to that men's conference, um, you know, he, the, the, the preacher over there talked a little bit about the marathon. You know, my, my son Isaiah ran the marathon last year with my wife, and my wife ran it two or three times. And I've never run it. You know, I don't think I ever will. But 
You know, I don't, I don't want to torture myself that way. But you read a lot of these different, you talk to a lot of these different people that have run the marathons, and you read books, and they say that about the 20th mile, you reach what they call the wall. The wall. And not everybody passes that. But once you pass that wall, where your body says, that's it, that's it, I don't want to do it no more. Okay? Then you, put, you press on. You have to press on. You have to give it your all. You have to focus and fight through that. It's not just a mere go. It's fight through that. Press through that. It's sort of like when a football player, right? They want to press through, go through the defensive line, right? They press through that. It, you know, it's not a mere just, you know, casual thing. If, if a marathoner wants to go in there and wants to, wants to do it, and he gets to the 20th mile and he hits the wall and he doesn't press through that, he's not going to finish. Right? And believe it or not, there's even... More complicated marathons than the 26.2 mile marathons, just ultra marathons, 100 miles. Uh, I just learned that there was one of the marathons called the Bagwater Ultra Marathon, 135 miles, that, that starts in Death Valley, 235 feet before, below sea level. And when you end up, you end up at about 300 feet above sea level, entirely downhill, I mean uphill. In the middle of the summer, where the temperature is about 135, 145 degrees, and there's people that finish it. So if you think the wall at 20 miles is rough, pushing through a wall at 135 miles is worse. That's what Paul was trying to, to tell us. That he presses on. He doesn't just say, I'm, you know, I'm going to pass it. He's like, no, no, no. He fights through that whole obstacle that is there, and he pushes through. And he presses on and says, not that I have already attained it. So he's not, he's not, he's not conform, you know, comfortable in that. He's pressing on. He has his goal in mind and he reaches through it. His goal is to know Christ and to know him, know him to the ultimate knowledge that he can have. To experience him in the fullest experience that he can experience him. To know his resurrection, to know his death, to know everything about him. And press on. He presses on. He doesn't hold back. Presses on. Talk to anybody that, that's run the marathon. Talk to Isaiah. Talk to my wife. Talk to other people that have run it. Tell them tell you about that wall. I've never experienced it. I tell you about a wall, about a wall in construction. Okay? I tell you about a wall in construction. Uh, but I can't tell you about, a, about the marathon wall. But talk to somebody about it. To see the, 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 the effort that it takes to push through that. That's what Paul was trying to say. Right? The pursuit, the goal pursued, press on. Then what? How do we know that we've attained this goal? Paul said he never attained it. Paul said he never attained it. What does he say right here? He says, not that I have already a, a, reached the goal or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I did not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And if we continue reading, let me see. Says, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Yeah, if you look at verse uh, 16. Talks about living up. He goes on and starts talking about you know living up to the truth that we have attained. So why do we know that we have atta- how that we have attained this goal? 
Again, uh, if you turn with me to John, to First John, chapter two, and again, I'm going to try to be faithful to my 25 minutes. So I'm a, I'm right about there. Uh, if you go to First John chapter two, verses three and three and six, actually he starts in in first one. If we read uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. I think Paul attained it. He was just humble and didn't say that he did. How do we know that he attained it? Because his focus was always to preach the gospel, right? He walked in the light. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Go over to chapter 2, verses 3. It says, this is how we are sure that we have come to know him. By keeping his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him. Without keeping his commandments, is what? A liar. And the truth is not in him. Right? Goal defined, know Christ to his fullest. Goal pursued, press on. Goal attained, keep his commandments. That's how we know we've attained the goal. That's how we know that God has brought us to a point not of our own strength, but of the fact that God has changed us. Earlier in the week, we were having a, a discussion on baptism at uh, Tony's house. And one of the things that really uh, is interesting to me about that whole subject of baptism is how in the old, in the old days, they used to get baptism, and they, the word to baptize means to submerge, to just dip totally into the, into the water. Um, and that same word was used to, you know, the dying of, of clothing. When they would dye a piece of, of clothing, they would submit that, 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 that piece of cloth into the dye. And the, and the cloth would come out with a different color, right? Because they were, did tie shirts. It changed the whole, it didn't change the structure of the church. It just changed the color of it and the nature of it. It just looked different. And it's also the same word that was used like when you get a pickle, you know, you get a pepino, right, a cucumber, and you turn it into a pickle. You put it into the vinegar, and when you take it out after it's been submerged for a while, and you take it out and you take a bite out of it, you really can't taste the pickle and you really can't taste the vinegar. They kind of all mix together. You can't separate them. Very interesting. That's what happens to us in Christ, that we become more like him. Not because we're better or because, uh, um, you know, we did it ourselves. It is because Christ himself has taken us and has changed us. How do we know that we have attained the goal? Again, verse 3. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him. By keeping his commandments, the one who says I have come to know him without keeping his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him 
should walk as Jesus walked. Should walk as Jesus walked. So if we are his, he's going to change us. He's going to uh, help us to become more like him. And uh, really be able to be used by him. Just to close, I want to read to you this analogy. Uh, this is from, a, from um, Calvin Miller. He is a, a preacher, pastor, professor uh, of preaching at the um, Beeson Divinity School. It's an evangelical uh, school over there in um, Birmingham, Alabama. And he was interviewed back in 2003. And uh, he says this, um, that him, um, let me read to you from the beginning. In an interview in March through April of, two of 2013 issue of The Door, preacher, author, Calvin Miller observed, Michael Card, this is what he said, quote, Michael Card and I are kind of amateur astronauts. And he's much better at it than I am. We are in his backyard one night, and he gave me a book by an astronomer that opened my eyes. When you look through these telescopes, you see a pinpoint of light. And you call it a star. I mean, you guys look through the telescope, right? And you call it a star. We can chart big maps of where the stars are, but the truth is, is they're nowhere. They're moving horribly fast. But at these great distances at which we live, they appear to be stationary. The star is moving at thousands and thousands of miles. So we look at it from here, and it looks like they're there, but they're actually moving. So you can't see the moving because it's so far away. This book said something like, if you could just move close enough to, that, to them, they will no longer be pinpoints of light. They're raging hydrogen explosions that would engulf you in flame and destroy everything. Their immense size, but at a great distance, they seem stolid, just still right there, hanging right there, right? This is what he says. I think the same thing is true of God. A lot of us see him through a Sunday school quarterly at a safe distance. We see God at a safe distance. He seems to be locatable and knowable in these little logical terms. And theologies that we throw at him. But up close, he is indeed a raging fire. When we are near him, we understand what humility is. You think Paul attained it? He was humble enough to know that he had not attained it. So let's press forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for your guidance. We thank you, Father, for everyone that is here present. And we ask, Lord, that as we go home, Father, and as we go on through our daily lives, Lord, that you may continue to reveal yourself to us, Father, that we may continue to experience you, Father, and know you in a much deeper way, Father. Um, know you so close, Father, that nothing can shake us, nothing can move us. That our motivation is just uh, about you, Father, fulfilling the calling that you have for us. And that you just help us, Father, to be brave, Lord, and, and be focused on what you have set aside for us, Father. Dismiss us, Father, with your blessing.
Guide us and direct us, Father, and prepare us to be back this afternoon, Lord, to continue to learn about you and continue to get closer to you, Father. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters that are here today, Father, and those that were not able to uh, be with us, Father, that uh, you be with them, Father, and that you comfort them if they're ill or if they had uh, challenging times, Father, that you may continue to comfort them and bring them back to us, Lord, uh, at the appropriate time. I thank you for everything that you do for us, Lord, in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you very much.